Poker.net with uh, Wild Bill. Uh, we're having our second uh, podcast of uh, 2021. Uh, this session, we have uh, Paul Dutch, uh, tournament supervisor extraordinaire. Paul, how you doing today? I'm doing great this morning. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. How's the weather over there where you at? It's cold. Super cold. I think uh, <laughs> they said it's going to be hovering under 35 degrees for six or seven days. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get snow? Might be cold here, too. They say, uh, yeah, good chance of snow, about 60% chance of snow on Monday. Well, I'm sure our 
listeners are really interested in the weather in each places we live and not interested in poker, but I hate to change the subject to poker. So let's, uh, let's talk about it's what you got. Poker. It's great poker weather. Great poker yeah, weather. That is true. That is true. Let's talk about what's coming up for you this year, kind of more broadly with poker and live events. And then maybe we can get into our event mm-hmm. next month at Pearl river. What, uh, what's the, What's the temperature of the poker scene, Paul? Well, I wish I knew. Uh, I know there's a lot of demand uh, from the players who are ready to be back out and playing. Uh, I'm I'm in there with them. I'm ready to be back out and playing. I've, I've actually played a few uh, sessions this year uh, over at the Pearl River Poker Room. They're playing eight-handed. So I've been traveling down there maybe once every five or six weeks for – four or five days at a time and putting in some sessions. Uh, but Are I, you I know allowed to beat the game as a tournament director? Well, uh, allowed to beat the game and able to beat the game might be two entirely different things, you know. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, but when I talk to other people in the industry, uh, you know, about when will we get back to full-scale tournaments on a – on a large basis, uh, there's a lot of unknowns. I think it just depends on uh, what the world looks like. I think everybody will get back to it as soon as their local regulations uh, and, and protocol safety measures allow them to do so. Uh, I don't think there'll be any seat dragging in the industry. Uh, I think there's demand, and I think there are a bunch of operators who are out there ready to fill it. It's just a matter of waiting for the right time. What's uh, one of the biggest questions I get in terms of live tournament pokers, and I'm sure the same is true for you, is what do you think the chances are the WSOP will go on um, in its full capacity or maybe in a limited capacity, on time, not on time? What do you, what do you think? What's your gut feeling on those things? I mean – I think everyone in the entire industry would like to see the WSOP go off mm-hmm. in some live capacity this year. Uh, it's just nobody knows when or if that'll be possible. And I, I think it's unknowable. Uh, I did, uh, I've read a lot of opinions, you know, and uh, an opinion's only that. It's just an opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a guess. So I, yeah. I would hate to venture a guess. I know that the, the desire is there for it to happen uh, on both sides of the equation, both the players and the operators. I know there's a lot of desire for it to happen. Whether or not it's going to happen, I don't think the operators or the players can say at this point. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it – I'm just you know guessing. It's just my opinion as anybody else's. I'm feeling like it's going to happen maybe a little later than normal um, and probably not as, you know, big as a couple of years ago, but I just, I, I disagree with I it. Not as big. I, I, I think, I think if, uh, uh, I think if, if there's a live event, uh, even if there's a limited international travel, I think the amount of demand that's out there, I, I think, it'll be bigger, maybe the biggest WSOP ever. I just think there's a bunch of folks who are saying, man, I wish I would have done that. You know, I, now it seems like I don't have the opportunity to do that. I've never been to the WSOP, but, and now I can't go, you know. I think when the opportunity, and this is not true just for the WSOP, this is true for concerts and, you know, uh, large events, Mardi Gras, Jazz Fest, those kind of things. People who put that on their bucket list, oh, that's something I want to do. When restrictions are lifted, all of those events are going to be bigger than ever. Because nobody's going to wait. I agree. Do do you think they they may do some kind of vaccines uh, in order to get into the tournament? You probably have to carry around a paper or some kind of wristband saying that you've had the vaccine? I don't have one clue. Okay. Uh, I I know uh, when we do our tournaments at Pearl River, 
Uh, we take your temperature when you register for the tournament. They take your temperature when you come in the building. Uh, the masks are mandatory, and every time someone gets up from the table, we wipe the area down completely, both the rails and the chairs. And uh, Those protocols have worked for us. I'm sure there'll be some protocols in place. What those protocols will be, I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Gene. I, I could see, you know, they talk about that possibly being something with like airline travel um, and some other, there's some other industries that they might use that. And I guess in one way, if it does happen with like the airlines and stuff, mm -hmm. the, the people traveling are already going to have to show the proof just to travel there if they're not driving. And I think most people are flying to the WSOP in a normal year. So it is kind of maybe one barrier or maybe, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. So Paul, getting back yeah. to the poker, Tell us a little bit of how you got into the game. We know you're from Louisiana, right in the middle of our footprint, and most of our listeners know you from working the regional tournament scene as well as the WSOP, and you know, you're know you in Chicago and all over the place. But how did you get into poker? I wrote an article on this, this very story uh, back in November. Uh, some people might have seen it online. It's a pretty good story. I, I mean, I always grew up playing cards with my family. We played a lot of pinochle, played spades, we played hearts. Uh, we didn't have a family get together where we didn't play cards. Uh, it was very much part of the equation. When I was, I was in maybe the seventh and eighth grade, I had a, a history teacher, history and art. He was a retired Air Force guy who had taken up teaching and, uh, he taught us, myself and a couple, three friends of mine, taught us a game called Casino. It was a 10-point game. It's an older game. It's it's from the 30s and 40s. He learned it when he was in the service. And we played that game every day uh, at lunch, recess, whatever you want to call it. We would go to the, we would go to his art studio and we would play four-handed Casino every day. And we, he told us jokes and sayings and uh, it's just a lot of camaraderie around that card game. It happened every day. Uh, we looked forward to it every day. It was like we, you know, get to school. It's like, yeah, it's, can't wait till lunchtime. We play cards, you know. We carried decks with us. And, uh, you know, after, after that, I, you know, high school, just playing with the family. And then, man, I... I was a musician, and uh, when I was 22 years old, we got a job on a Tuesday night playing at the Lady Luck Casino in Natchez, Mississippi. This was you know, in the early 90s, and uh, I had never been in a casino at all. And they had a set up on this. It was a three-floor riverboat, but right in the middle, there was no... It, you could see all three floors, you know, so there was kind of a gallery on the top two floors and the bottom floor was all one thing. They had us on the second floor overlooking the dice pit, surrounded by slot machines playing music. And I'm telling you, not one soul cared that we were up there playing music. So we would finish a song and all you'd hear is slot machines. And, uh, for the musicians out there, the, the slot machines are all in the key of C, we found out pretty fast. So we had to stay away from, you know, C sharp, B, you know, we couldn't play in those keys because <laughs> it was just too much dissonance. And uh, anyway, you know, we, we're playing. Nobody cares that we're there. We were looking down over this dice pit, and the dice pit is packed. They're three and four deep. People are screaming, they're yelling, you know, something will go off and you hear the, almost the whole floor will erupt. And uh, mm -hmm. my buddy who was a singer, he says, man, I wonder what the, what is going on down there. We took a break. He said, Paul, I'm going down there. I said, Dave, I said, don't go down there. I said, those folks down there, I said, they're going to take your money if you go down there. I said, I wouldn't go down there. I said, leave, I'd leave that alone. 
He said, no, man. He said, that looks like just, he said, that looks like the most fun I've ever seen anybody having. He said, I'm going down there. I said, don't go down there, David. He said, I'm going. You coming? I said, I ain't going. He said, okay. He comes back. He's got chips, red chips. It's like what I know now is about 20 of them. You know, he's got much as he can hold in his hand right there. He's like, man, look at this. He said, this is awesome. He said, man, that's the most fun. He said, I never had that much fun in my life. He goes home after every song, the whole set. So the next break, he says, hey, Paul, I'm going down there. He said, uh, you coming? I said, look, David. I said, you got lucky? I said, that's cool. I said, but don't go down there. I said, I'm telling you, you go down there, you mess with them people. I said, they're going to take that money you want, and they're going to take more out of your pocket. I said, I'm telling you, don't go down there and mess with those dice people. Don't do it. And he said, I'm going. You coming or not? I said, I ain't going. He said, okay. And uh, he comes back for the next set. Now he's got green chips. Not as many as he can hold in his hand, but he's probably got about 300, 350, something like that. You know, he's got he's got a nice number of them. Now he's really pumped up after every song. Man, that's the most fun I ever had with my clothes on. Man, you won't believe it. You know, he's like, you just won't believe. He said they're printing money down there, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, so we ended the show. We packed everything up, put it in the truck. He said, Paul, I'm going back down there. I said, I'm right behind you. <laughs> we go down there, and uh, it's not as packed now. Remember, it's like 3 in the morning now. It's not as packed, but there's still a good number of people, and uh, they're still pretty pumped up. And we buy some chips, and I'm kind of leaning in, and I said, David, how does this work? He said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, you want all this money? You don't know how it works? He said, I have no clue. I said, well, how did you win that money? He said, well, you see that good-looking blonde over there? I said, yeah. He said, well, she's winning. He said, I'll wait for her to make her bet. I bet the same thing. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, we ended up both winning that night. And uh, on the way home, you know, he said, look, man, we didn't even know what we are doing, and we won all this money. He said, imagine if we knew what we were doing. You know, we thought we had found the, the, the secret to wealth. Uh, so anyway, you know, I bought a book, started reading about it, and uh, next thing you know, you know, I guess that's 30 years ago, uh, 30 years later, still in the gambling business. How'd you make the transition from, um, I guess, the pit games to the poker? Well, one morning I was shooting dice. I was down to maybe my last $20 that I brought to shoot dice with. And uh, they came over the casino-wide intercom. It's like 9 in the morning. Remember, I, I play music for a living. So Thursday, mm -hmm. Friday, Saturday, we're working. Sunday even sometimes. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I ain't got nothing going on. I mean, every week there is nothing going on those days. So I'm just completely free. So I'd go down there about 9 in the morning, you know, play dice. So I went down there, shoot some dice, down to about my last $20, and they came over that intercom and they said, upstairs on the third floor, free poker tournament starts at 10 a.m. Well, that was right up my alley, free poker tournament. That was right in my budget, too, you know. So I went up there and I talked to the floor man. And uh, he was super nice. He's like, yeah, yeah, get in. He said, we, you know, we give away a $150 comp to the steakhouse uh, every every morning, uh, Monday through Thursday, you know, a 10 a.m. tournament. He told me how many chips you got and all that. He said, if you win the tournament, you get the comp. It doesn't cost you anything to get in. I was like, well, okay, you got me. So I got in, and uh I had never seen Texas Hold'em. I didn't know anything about how it worked, so I just kind of watch. And like all new players, you know, the, once the players around me figured out I didn't know anything, they started telling me things. They started telling me, you know, they said, hey, you want to play big cards? Then somebody told me, somebody won with a queen seven, and they said, oh, that queen seven, he said, that, it, it, it wins the most on average. It's the computer hand, they told me. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> You know, so I, I, I tucked that away. Queen seven. Queen seven is good. Okay. And right. So I just, you know, I just 
I'm just telling you, that's the way it went, you know. And so I'm just trying to learn. And I went every morning. And after a couple of weeks, I bought a book, which I still own. Uh, it was a gambling book in general. And it had a section on poker. And uh, so I read that section and reread that section, read it some more. You know, eventually, I did win that tournament. And uh, took my girlfriend to the steakhouse, which she wasn't impressed, but I was impressed with myself. Got that steak, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got the steak. I was. It became a mission for like six months. I said, if I do anything, I'm going to win that steak. It's kind of like it's kind of like my mini WSOP, you know. Some people say, you know, before I die, I'm gonna win that WSOP. Well, I said, you know what? Before I die, I'm gonna get that steakhouse count. And there you go. <laughs> How did you wind up? Um, was you a supervisor at the Bell of Baton Rouge at one time? You had you had Dana and Slim and and Mac all working for you. <laughs> That was before. That well, was before Slim became such a, a big poker player. Right? He was a dealer, if I remember right. That's where I crossed paths with all you guys. Yeah, I might. I might have to change some of the names to protect the guilty on some of these stories. But. <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I actually broke in dealing uh, at the Grand in Biloxi. Uh, I did that. I think it was around 2002. Uh, and I've been playing poker since 95 when I, I broke in dealing at the Grand. And I only dealt there for eight or nine months, and they opened a poker room at the Bell of Baton Rouge. And uh, I knew the person who was going to be the manager. And uh, he said, yeah, he said, come, you know, come work over here. And I think I dealt for about a month. And they still hadn't filled the graveyard supervisor spot. And so I said, hey, I said, uh, I said I'll take that graveyard supervisor spot. And uh, he said, well, he said, uh, you know, you probably make less money than dealing. I was like, yeah, I know. I said, but uh, I said, I think I think I want to do. He said, well, if you think you want to do that, he said, that's fine. So I, I became a supervisor. And, you know, over time, I ended up managing that room and, then I left that room to be a dual rate at the Horseshoe Tunica. And over time, I ended up being a co-manager at that room. And then after that, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Ended up resigning, and I started dealing some poker tournaments for Eric Comer. And uh, over time, he ended up uh, getting me to be a shift manager and then when he kind of retired from the tournament business, uh, he got me to take over being the tournament director. Uh, actually, that tournament at Pearl River was one that he started. He started that thing from scratch. Uh, and so, you know, after being a director for a while, uh, I started getting other tournament director jobs, and that's that's just kind of how I ended up here. I never, I never woke up one morning and said, "Oh, I want to be a tournament director." I never ever. Uh, aspired to that. It's just kind of a thing that just sort of happened gradually over time. So tell me about uh, when Eric started Pearl River Tournament. How many events did y'all put on? How many people were there? Like, what was that tournament like initially, and, and when was that? It was 2015, and I can't remember whether it was the spring of 2015 or the fall, I certainly have the records. I could look it up, but it was, it was very small. I remember, I think the, uh, the guarantee on the first tournament was like 25,000 and the guarantee on the main was like 50. And, uh, I remember driving out to that place and going up to my room and thinking, Man, this was going to be a small tournament, <laughs> you know. And Eric kept telling me, you know, every night we would we would uh, have a drink, and he would say, "Paul, I'm telling you, this thing has got major potential." He he would give me all the reasons why it had major potential, and but the main thing that that for him that he believed it had major potential was how well they treat the players. He said, "I'm telling you, these people get it." He said, "They know how to treat poker players. They're committed to it." He said. 
if they hit a bump in the road, they're not just going to give up. He said, uh, he said, I'm telling you, he said, this could be really something big. He said, it's going to take some time. He said, and uh, we kept doing it. And we would, you know, inch the attendance up a little bit each time. We missed a lot of guarantees back in those days. Uh, I think that's how you found out about the tournament, Bill. I think I sent you a, a call or a text. <laughs> When I could see right. we were going to miss one of those main event guarantees, and I said, "Hey, Bill, you better get up here. We're going to have like twenty thousand in overlay." I, and, I remember uh, that specifically. I was in Harris playing a tournament, Harris, New Orleans. I said, "Well, I, I bust this in time. I'm going to make that drive up there and try and catch that late, the mm-hmm. second session." And I think I barely made it, um, the way everything worked out. But yep, you're exactly right. I remember that text. Yeah, and I've sent a lot of those texts over the years, uh, and and each time that we missed one of those things up at Pearl River, the management was like, look, we understand that we're going to miss some of these occasionally. We're building something. We know that in the long run it's going to pay off. Don't sweat it. And being in the poker business, I can't tell you how rare that is. Uh I mean, if you miss a poker guarantee, most places, by $20,000, there's going to be some serious doubt as to whether the poker tournament's even going to happen the next year. Mm-hmm. It never in doubt at Pearl River. And, uh, you know, the tournament has grown. Uh, the last couple of years, uh I don't think we missed any guarantees in the last couple of years. Uh, we've been double and tripling the prize pools. Uh, you know, if we guarantee a hundred thousand, I think last time the prize pool was 300, 330,000. Uh, before that it was like 212. I think, uh, I think somebody made a comment to me on the internet yesterday. They said, what do you mean you only guarantee a hundred thousand? It was three hundred thousand last time. And I said, Yeah, but you know it's gonna be three hundred thousand. I mean what's what's the point of saying it's gonna be over two fifty? Everybody knows it's gonna be over two fifty. You know, we did increase some guarantees, but we increased them midweek where we thought uh that would improve uh those tournaments. You know, if we we're gonna take some risk on improving the product, well let's improve it in places where it needs the most improvement. The weekend is, you know. Honestly, capacity-wise, I don't know how much bigger we can make that tournament. Uh, if I had 500K in entries in those tournaments, it would be really difficult to uh, fit them in the building. You know, so right. You know, what's the what's the what's the point in guaranteeing 250 or 300 or something like that? Uh, we know it's going to be that. Uh, don't know if I can handle 500. I think I can get 400 in the prize pool. Uh, under their current conditions. I will say that uh, for everybody who came to the last tournament there, uh, this next tournament, there will be more tables and more dealers. Uh, We were a little short on tables and dealers the last event. I think Mm -hmm. we underestimated the amount of pent-up demand due to the pandemic. But uh, we did get everybody in the tournament that wanted in, as we always will. But uh, we don't want people to wait as long as they had to wait, especially on the first Saturday last weekend. That's not a, not something we aspire to do. So we we will have more tables and more dealers this time. That's good news. And I'm excited about that. I think with that room, more dealers, more tables, probably won't be much of a line hardly ever. Maybe during that opener, just on the – the end of one left, one flight, the beginning of another, probably that would be the only time, huh? Probably so. We also brought in an extra registration clerk uh, to help with that problem as well. Uh, wow. Definitely don't want to have those lines. That's, that's not a that's not a fun experience for anybody, especially especially if you're gambling. Man, if you, you take a bad beat. Uh, and you're still in the registration tournament and you're trying to get back in, the last thing you want to do is wait 30 minutes and have to think about that bad beat for the 30 minutes while you're waiting. You know, it's, 
for sure. And that probably will help the prize pool grow too. Cause I know as a player, when I'm playing and I see a long registration line for that next bullet, that affects the decision I'm making in the game. I, I'm, well, well, maybe I'm not going to call here because I don't feel like waiting in line and uh, being an alternate or whatever. So, um, yeah, I could see that being helpful in a, in a few ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, lines are not fun. I'm not a fan. Well, speaking of lines, uh, what about uh, the bow? Uh, do you see any – you guys doing any – are you – supervising any tournaments over there in the near future? We're hopeful that the uh, tournaments will return to the bow uh, at their traditional time of the year in the fall. But again, we just don't know. You know, it depends on what the world looks like uh, in the fall. I I know uh, we're all hopeful that life will be back to some semblance of normal by then. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my perception, I I seem to think the Mississippi Gaming Commission is a, probably a little bit more lenient than other states. Um, again, just a thought. Yeah, it's just it's going to be a it's going to be a jurisdiction by jurisdiction thing. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a light switch where uh, you know we wake up one morning and everybody says, uh, "Okay, we're good." Back to normal. You, you're free to move about the country, you know, like Southwest <laughs> Airlines. I think it's, I think it's going to be more like slowly turning a dial, you know, where uh, it's like, okay, well, we're going to try this and see what happens, and we'll try these little things and see what happens. And I think it's kind of, kind of like that vaccine rollout. I think it's going to be different in different jurisdictions. It's going to depend on where you are, uh, what your state's particular rules are. Yeah, I've talked to some people and, and, in the industry, and they haven't uh, specifically laid out any definitive plans and tournaments or whatever. But I do know that, just like you you mentioned earlier, their discussions are being held, and they're trying to plan it as quickly as possible. And they know the demand is out there, and they and they want to get the ball rolling in a lot of those places. But um, I'm glad we got one that is going. You know, while everybody else is. Uh, um, still in the planning stages for a little bit. Um, yeah, Paul, I wanted yeah, to ask absolutely. you this. You, you have a ton of good stories uh, that you've shared with me in the past with, uh, you know, four decisions or whatever. Obviously, might not, you probably won't mention any names, but do you have any big calls or some just crazy incidents that you've dealt with as a as a floor guy that you can share with us? <laughs> Boy, you talk about have to uh, change the names to protect the guilty. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 there are tons of them over my career, but one thing I will say about four decisions is uh, when I make one, I always try to look at all perspectives. You know, I try to look at it from the perspective of each of the two players involved, from the perspective of the dealer from the perspective of the other players at the table. You know, there's a lot lot that goes into it. Uh, no two situations, although they might involve the exact same rule, no two situations are identical. Uh, it just doesn't happen. There are always variables that uh, are unaccounted for. And every time I think I've seen everything that could possibly happen, uh, at least once in a two-week tournament, uh, I see something that I've never seen before, you know. And so uh, it can feel it can feel very unfair uh, when you come out on the on the wrong side of a close decision. Uh, it's kind of like when you think maybe the refs got it wrong uh, when you bet on an NFL game. You know, it's just like it's one of those things. It's part of the game. Uh, so, but yeah, there, there've been, there've been some interesting ones. Uh, there've been some where, you know, I felt the technical ruling wasn't the correct ruling in that situation. Uh, I remember one time, and I think I could tell this story now 
don't know if I could have told it before, but I remember one time at a main event at the Bo Ravage, there was a ruling that came up. And on the face of it, it looked simple. Uh, There was a rule to cover it. But given all the extenuating circumstances, I knew I was going to go against the uh, textbook ruling. And uh, just think of his name right now. Sam Grizzle was sitting in the nine seat right next to the dealer. And uh, he's pretty outspoken, and he knows the rules better than probably anybody. And uh, he wasn't in the hand, but – Right before I made the ruling, I looked at Sam. I said, well, I know how Sam would rule this. I said, and it's not the way I'm going to rule it. And he started to say something. Hold on, Sam. I said, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to rule it different. And uh, and I, I gave him the reasons why I made the different ruling, what the textbook ruling would be, and why I ruled it differently. And he was okay with it. He said, well, that's not how I would rule it. I said, I know. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the important thing, you know, for four people. Uh, and players, is, uh, when we get in those situations, let's try to understand the reason for the decision, uh, not just what the decision is. And that's, I think that makes those things a little bit easier to stomach when you, when you have, when, you know, when you have to have a decision. I, my happiest tournament is when I have to make no decisions. That that means the players had the best experience. Uh, the dealers didn't get put in any bad spots, uh, but you know that's that's not realistic. Uh, there are going to be some close spots occasionally, and it's usually the reason those spots come up is because somebody makes a mistake. You know, either the players make a mistake, or the dealers make a mistake, or the players and the dealers make a mistake. Or you know, that's 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 real life. Uh, poker exposes uh, real life things. You know, like uh, people are imperfect. Poker puts a lot of pressure on people. Some of those uh, imperfections are going to come through uh, mm. when you're playing poker. There's an old poker saying that says, uh, if you want to know the true nature of a man's character, play poker with him. And uh, after a while, you, you'll have a good handle on it. And I think that's true. Yeah, that's. Uh, I agree with that. You can definitely see people in very different situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, how they do, handle uh, adversity, how they handle success, <clears throat> um, how they handle conflict, all kinds of things, you know. All kinds of things, of right. I think you, at one point you told me another quote in terms of, I'm not sure if somebody told you this or this is maybe your own philosophy in terms of flooring, something along the lines of if they just needed me to read the rule book, they wouldn't need me, something like that. Can you expound exactly on right. that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of what I was talking about before is in those yeah. two situations are identical. So, uh, you know, you need to weigh you need to weigh the situation and do the fairest thing for everyone involved uh, and, and for the integrity of the tournament. And if that was the textbook rule book, if that was the textbook, if the textbook rule was correct every time in achieving that goal, then yeah, you wouldn't need a four person. You just get you an eye floor up there, give you the rule that <laughs> that uh, covers it, and uh, you know you have to do you have to accept that. But uh, so that probably creates that, some conflict with some players that are like Sam Grizzle, or I mean, and I guess in that story it didn't bother him but you know some players that just read the rule book literally and then there's not room for interpretation are those kind of the reason it it didn't bother him is that he got the reasons for the non-textbook ruling and that's the key for four people don't just don't just give them the don't just give them the ruling and walk away give them the ruling and if they're having trouble accepting it, if anybody's having trouble accepting the ruling, even if it is the textbook rule, give them the reason for the ruling. Because every textbook rule, there are good reasons why that's the rule. You know, so give them what those reasons are. Uh, once, you know, most players just want understanding. They just want a fair shake. 
they want the game to be on the square. They want to feel like they didn't get cheated. If they understand, you know, why it was ruled the way it was, sometimes it takes a little time, but I've rarely been in a situation where once all the reasons were fully explained to a player, no matter how upset, that they didn't finally say, okay, I can at least see that. You know, I think I think most people – I think where players get really bent out of shape is when they get a ruling and they don't get the reasons. That's the way it is. You know, that's they don't accept that very well, and, and I, I wouldn't either, frankly. <laughs> you know, you need uh, you need good reasons uh, for what you're doing uh, if it's affecting other people, and that's again true for life, not just for poker. No, I agree with that 100%. There's situations where sometimes I may not agree with the ruling, but you give me the information about it, what I can tolerate. You give me the logic for why you're getting, making that decision. Even if I don't agree with it, okay, fine, I, I understand that. But um, it's not that I disagree with floors very often, but just, you know, listening to it, my lesser understanding of the rules, um, I agree with your philosophy for sure. Yeah. I think like 99% of the players, if they get the reasoning, they're going to be able to deal with it. Uh, and that's, I think that's key. And again, those are, those are situations we hope we go the entire tournament where nothing like that comes up. Uh, as a matter of fact, if I'm really thinking about it, I don't think we had any uh, notable rulings at the last tournament, uh, which is uh that's interesting considering the size of the event. I hadn't really considered it before now, but I don't remember any, and I usually do remember them. Yeah, I don't remember any either. Yep, but I can't think of any controversy that was, or ruling or, you know, that even, I can't even really think of, you know, behavioral issues or anything like that, which you have to deal with as well. Is that one of the tougher parts of the job? You know, when you're working well, different places in the country, uh, when somebody's had too many or is acting up, like, is that one of the... It just takes a little finesse. I mean, most of the time it's just uh, somebody that's had a little bit too much to drink and, you know, like like anything, as long as you, uh, you know, are able to treat the person with respect and kind of, you know, talk to them on the side and kind of explain to them where we're at, and you, it can usually be dealt with in a, a manner that doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, affect anybody's ability to uh, enjoy themselves. Now, there there are times when the behavior can get out of bounds, and those times were unfortunate, and, uh, you know, we have methods to deal with those things, uh, but again, that's something we usually don't want to have happen. Uh, I will say, the last event, uh, and a lot of the times that I've gone to play poker since this pandemic has started, I've seen less and less of that. And I think the reason is people are just so happy to get out and do anything that they, yeah, they treat treat each other just a little bit better than they than they uh, might normally would. Uh, I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, just happy to be here, kindness uh, among the players when I've gone out to play uh, since this pandemic has started. And I definitely saw that during the tournament. Uh, I think everybody was just so happy to be able to play live poker tournament, eight-handed with, you know, good guarantees, big tournaments. I, I think everybody was so happy to be there that, uh, you know, they just didn't really uh, put any bad behavior in the equation, which is great. Yeah, you're right. It was a it was a lot of positive vibes going around that place um, with everybody having played live poker for so long, and for just having you know the, the, the tournaments being as big as they were. Uh, and again, just the, a great place to have tournaments, the food, it, it, all around people were smiling. I, I can't remember hearing anybody grumbling about anything. And that's, <laughs> that's usually 
all, all the time at poker tournaments elsewhere. So, Paul, give well, us a, a rundown. That, of, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think some of that falls back on the property, too, and how well they treat their players. You know, I mean, Gene mentioned the food. Pearl River has always uh, taken very good care of the players with respect to the food, whether it's, uh, you know, play, putting out player buffets or, or food comps for the players that are playing in the tournament. I mean, that's pretty unheard of in, in – uh, today's large-scale poker tournament world. So, you know, I think, uh, I think the property gets a lot of credit for that. They treat the players so well that, I mean, if you're not happy there, you're not going to be happy anywhere, right? That's right. Well, give us a rundown on, I guess, one, the, the kind of poker room rates and stuff you all are doing for the players, and then maybe we can just do a quick overview of, of some of the events that we're going to be having. Sure. So I believe the poker rate at Pearl River Resort for the tournament is $49 midweek, that's Sunday through Thursday, $69 on Friday and Saturday night. If you've been to the tournament before, you'll get a mailer with the schedule, and there's also a room offer. Uh, There are some free nights associated with that. I think they're midweek nights. So, uh, you know, you just look for, check your mailbox for that. It should be a room offer. There's a number you can call. I think a code you can give them for the room offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I know that those mailers haven't gone out yet, but they're supposed to go out within the next one to two weeks. So just keep, keep an eye out on the mailbox for that. Awesome. I mean, that's hard to beat. Uh, I always forget on the weekend rate. I know it's inexpensive, but. 69. Wow, that's that you can't get that that's anywhere. 60, that's that's 69 and there's no resort fee either. Yeah. So it's just 69 plus tax. It's not 69 and $30 resort fee or whatever. It's just straight 69 on the weekend, which is yeah, that's that's a pretty great rate uh these days. So what are some of the highlights on the schedule for you when uh you're looking at the schedule for this one coming up, but it's March 18th through March 28th. What are some of the high points? All right. So event one, it's a hundred K guarantee. Last tournament, the prize pool was a little north of 330,000. So uh, I think this tournament will be even bigger. Uh, the initial room bookings say the tournament's going to be bigger. Uh, I would not be surprised if this prize pool didn't get close to 450, it'd be my my guess. Uh, there's a double bag and triple bag bonus in this event one. If you double bag the tournament, you can get 1K in cash or two $600 main event seats. You choose between those two options. If you triple bag the tournament, there, there are five flights. If you triple bag it, you get the 1000 in cash or the two seats plus 3000 in cash. So you get 3K for your third bag, 1K for your second bag. That's pretty tough to beat. Uh, yeah, that's really tough. So that's, that's very nice. That's it. That's a huge event. Uh, it's been very successful at Pearl River. You carry your best bag forward. Uh, your lesser bags come out of play. So, but that's been a very successful event. Uh, the other events that I think I have to touch on, at first Sunday we do a mega for the main event where the property adds five seats to the mega. So that's adding five seats. That's like uh, That's like just a five seat overlay. Uh, it's 150 bucks to get in. One in five players win a seat, plus the five seats that are added. So, if you had a wow. hundred people in that tournament, 25 seats would be given away, which is that's one in four. I mean, that's that's you know, that's pretty, pretty good for a mega. I, 
I don't think you can miss that mega if, if you have any intention of playing the main event. All right. Uh, and if you don't have an intention of playing the main, you might play the mega and change your mind because one out of four is hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like a flashback. Well, Paul, we wanted to, uh, you know, thank you for coming on. Um, it's always nice to, to chat. Um, before we go, we definitely want to highlight the Pearl River event. Uh, Bill, those dates are the 18th through the 28th. Is that correct? Yes, 18th through the 28th. All righty. Um, you guys have anything else to add? Well, a couple things. Uh, the room is doing uh, megas for both the main event and event one uh, on Sundays at 12 p.m. prior to the event every Sunday. Uh, for event one, they're adding five seats to those megas. I think they're having one this Sunday. So if anybody wants to travel up there uh, for that, that's a good thing. Also, I think I'm going to be there playing poker weekend after next. So if you want to try to ease up there and try to beat me out of a little something, uh, I'll be there. I think the 18th to the 22nd. Uh, they'll also have that main event satellite on Sunday the 21st at noon. So, yeah. If uh, you heard this podcast and you see me there with my Gulf Coast poker hat on playing poker, come by and introduce yourself. Awesome. Good. Yeah, great. Well, I appreciate it, Paul. Right, Thank well. you. Thank you much well, yeah, for coming we'll, on. And... Well, thank you all. Thank you all. I really enjoyed it. Always happy to talk about poker. All right. You guys have a good day. All right. Y'all too. Talk to y'all later. Okay.